Welcome, welcome back to Rise to Liberty podcast. Today, I am joined by Clint Russell of Liberty Lockdown podcast. How are you doing today, Clint? I'm good, brother. Thank you for having me again. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. Honestly, I, I think the libertarian or liberty movement has some of the best podcasts and uh, some of the best fans. It's just uh, it's a really interesting circle to be in, honestly. I agree, dude. I, I mean... It's funny. I, I was actually just thinking about this yesterday because I, I watch, um, you know, real time with Bill Maher every week because I want to understand what my enemies are thinking. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I swear, I swear to God, uh, like when I watch that, when I watch CNN, when I watch even Fox News, the guests that they have and stuff like that, I'm like, these people aren't anywhere near as as brilliant as the people I have on my show regularly. Like it, it, it really, it's really mind blowing the uh, the caliber of human being I get to interact with now. I'm just, I'm so grateful for it. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Uh, you know, even interviewing other hosts, I'm like, all of us are out here being the, the, the spearhead, uh, the, the mouthpiece of the movement. And honestly, it's, it's just really, really cool to be within that weird little, uh, family of Motley crew people, you know, it's just, <laughs> for sure. it's a lot of fun. So, Let's just uh, jump into it. Um, one thing I want to want to cover just real quick. Do you want to give people a little bit of your background, like what you did for work before you started the podcast and moved down to Florida? Yeah, sure. Uh, I was just a private money mortgage broker, which means essentially what a bank does. But when someone either needs the money fast or they can't qualify because they're self-employed, things like that. Um, but instead of you know using Federal Reserve funds. I, or, you know, Fannie Freddie, um, I actually had private investors that would through me funnel their capital to the borrower. So that was my job as the underwriter was to make sure that that investment was sound, that it was prudent and likely to perform. So let, let's see. So you pretty much were like the yes or no man. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what an underwriter is. And pretty much any any lending institution. Um, but I was the, uh, I was the primary broker and the only employee I had other people that I, you know, I had contract work with, um, but I didn't have any employees and I just did it all myself and it was great. I had, uh, I brokered a couple or many hundreds of millions of dollars over my career. And, uh, it was a very gratifying experience. Got a good return on investment for my investors. They were all thrilled and very disappointed when I retired. <laughs> uh, when the lockdowns happen, but you know, it is what it is. And, and where were you at the time? San Diego, California. Oh yeah. I see why you left. <laughs> yeah. I mean, San Diego is the greatest place on earth, but, uh, the state of California is unfortunately not. Yeah. I always, I always had a lot of fun in old town. That, that yeah. was always, that was always fun down there. Old town's great. Downtown's pretty great too. I mean, there's starting to be increasing you know, drug addiction and homelessness issues, but it's still, still a very magical place and will always hold a special place in my heart. I, uh, I pray for the people there that they can, you know, prior to some sort of communist <laughs> collapse, uh, <laughs> they can, they can reform the government, but, uh, doesn't, doesn't look likely and it doesn't look to be coming anytime soon. So I did what I had to do and fled. So what was the moment to where, you were just like, okay, that's it. I've had enough. I'm out. Uh, this is a true story. Um, the first time a homeless person shit in my front yard, uh, 
<laughs> I I literally because I was a funny, but yeah. it's the funniest thing I've ever heard. Yeah, I was a uh, <laughs> uh, you know I was also a real estate broker, so I literally the same day I listed my home for sale, and that was in uh, I think it was January of 2021. So it was like six months into lockdowns, give or take, and uh, I was done, man. Yeah. Uh, you know, what happened to the shit? Did you pick it up or just leave it? <laughs> no, I had to pick it up. I mean, I didn't yeah. have a choice. You know, it's my it's my property and the cops don't do anything about, you know, uh, homelessness issues. So it's like, yeah, I just knew at that point, like, all right, this is San Diego is now verging on L.A., San Francisco type. Uh, issues and I, I had always said I would never want to live in those places. So when I realized that my hometown was becoming that, I was like, all right, yeah, not this isn't the right spot for me. Yeah, yeah, I completely understand. When when a city starts having to have a budget for some sort of like task force or something to take care of shit, you know, you're not in a good city. Yeah, no, for sure. And it, even worse, if you need that task force but you don't have one, <laughs> then you're yeah, like, exactly. You're like, oh my exactly. god, this is. This is really problematic. So yeah, I was out of there. So one thing I wanted to talk about, uh, the the reason I was, you know, having you explain what you had done before is because I wanted to make sure everyone knew that you kind of know this stuff and you're not just some, you know, libertarian autist. Like yeah. Well, I'm that, I'm that too. I'm that yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In addition to, you also have experience in this. Yeah. I think so, that's honestly like the biggest differentiator that i have from the other people in this sphere is that you know, <laughs> yeah. i i really did walk the walk when it came to um using our philosophy when it comes to economics but in the real world a lot of us are well read uh but not enough of us have actually done it and and i did for a long time so yeah um, an, it, it an gives me an application yeah it gives me a greater level of expertise um and real world application that allows me to kind of have tested our ideas in reality as opposed to just the theoretical. So, so the thing I wanted to talk about was uh, ESG, environmental social governance. Um, do you want to explain for everybody exactly like what that is, how it's applied, like we're all five-year-olds? Sure. Uh, ESG is an acronym. It stands for environmental, social, and governance. It, uh, it was the brainchild of the United Nations in 2004. And I mean, it the conceptually, the idea behind it began many decades prior. But in terms of it being implemented at the highest level of governments as well as the highest level of of big business globally, it, it that's really the inflection point by which it started to become a real threat to humanity. Um, and I'll explain why. So it, ESG was through the UN uh, dictate, it, they then partnered with the World Economic Forum and a bunch of other, you know, globalist uh, entities. They sent out a letter to the fifty, uh, the the CEOs of the fifty biggest corporations on Earth at the time, and they said, "Hey, this is what we are interested in doing. Basically, we, we want to have public-private partnerships, aka fascism, uh, to deal with all that ails humanity, but primarily focused on global warming and anthropogenic global warming specifically." which I think is a fatally flawed uh, thesis to begin with. Uh, but then there's also the arguments against having corporations that are trying to you know, implement their will on the world. Even if you believe that the premise is good, that may not be the best uh, way to do things, particularly when a CEO of a business has a fiduciary responsibility to the shareholders over 
you know, the stakeholders, the people that live in the countries of which he's doing business. So like I, I have many levels of opposition to this, but because I was a fiduciary, I take this very personally in the sense that what it means to be a fiduciary as a money manager is you have to put the interests of your investors over your own. You can't do that if you are operating in a fashion that isn't focused on the bottom line, that isn't focused on profit to make sure that your investors get a proper return, but is rather focused on some sort of airy-fairy utopic vision for the world. And I think that they are they are breaking the law in doing so. So so really, this is where a lot of like we'll see, uh, for instance, Dove, Dove Beauty products. They'll be pushing some sort of social agenda. Correct. And that's that's where we see that from. Yes, and that would be under the the social because social just means justice, social justice. Um, uh, also under governance to some extent, but really that would be under the S category of the ESG. Is anything that is about, you know, uh, sexism, alleviating sexism or racism or homophobia or transphobia, any of that stuff uh, would be under the S category. And that's it, it helps. This is what you know, this is actually what led me down the trail to figuring out why this was happening was I kept seeing these advertisements. Um, the one that I always reference is Gillette when they started talking about how yeah. men were sexual predators. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I'm like the best a man can get. And you're telling me I'm a predator. Like, this is crazy. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that, that's when I realized that's, that's how it was actually happening is that there's ESG is essentially a, an accounting framework by which they can uh, levy grades against you, against your business. Um, and the ESG scoring usually goes up to a hundred and you have uh, it's split into thirds for those three categories. And if your score is too low, well then the, the biggest money manager, managers on earth, State Street, BlackRock, Vanguard, uh, a litany of others, will not invest or will invest less in your business. And uh, and when they do so, it's devastating to your to your share value. So it's, uh, it's a very coercive way to implement what I believe to be cultural Marxism into the highest levels of corporate finance. It's, uh, it's extraordinarily nefarious. Well, and it, it seems to be a corporate version of do as we say, otherwise you're going to go under. Yes. Like, yeah. That, I mean, it's a, pretty much what it's, it a, is. it's the same coercive thing that they did with the vaccine mandates. It's like, you know, either you do this or you don't have a job like, okay, well, then I'm probably going to do it. Like, that's how yeah. most people react to those threats. I, I'm the type of person that, that reacts to those threats by saying, well, then fuck your mother. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, like I don't, I don't appreciate being treated like that. And unfortunately, not, en not enough people approach life that way, where they're just like, look, you don't get to tell me what to do with my business. You don't get to tell me what to do with my body or my money or anything. You don't get to tell me. Uh, you're not my yeah. boss. I'm an adult. What, what is going on here? Um, but a lot of people, you know, they're fucking, their, their wills have been broken over the years. I don't know if it's public school or if it's, years of indoctrination through media and Hollywood, or if it's the microplastics. You know. <laughs> sure. Yeah, any of it. You know. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Uh, probably a culmination of all of the above. Yeah. Uh, personally, that's what I think it is. I, I think they're, yeah, I mean, I was just reading an article earlier today where 50 uh, or uh, testosterone is down 50% from where it was even 20 years ago in all of men, just the average man. And it's, it's even down further from men, you know, 50 years ago. Yeah. And I, I, I think that's, you know, they're trying to give us bread and circuses. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's so many theories as to why that's occurring. 
Um, I think that it goes, I mean, it's, it's so multifaceted. I couldn't even give you a, a cogent thesis other than to say it's everything. <laughs> it's yeah. everything about our lifestyle. It's our food. We don't get enough sun. Uh, we don't work out enough, especially for men. Uh, like it's vitally important that you lift heavy. If you want to keep your testosterone up, not enough men do. Um, it's also the social media and the the tech influence on our lives where we don't go out and function with human beings in the world. You don't have interpersonal connection. I think that all of these things ultimately are very detrimental to our health. And, uh, and it's very challenging. I mean, you know, I am a professional work at home, do everything through the internet guy. It's, um, you know, you have to make a conscious concerted effort to not become a soy boy. <laughs> like, yeah. like it takes effort. And, and, uh, you know, a lot of people haven't acclimated to it. I think that, you know, the, the evolution of technology is, is coming at us so rapidly that, you know, human beings just simply aren't that adaptive on a, uh, on a broad, on a broad basis. So. Well, and this, this seems we're to learning. be coming very quickly as far as like evolutionary, uh, terms, yes. you know? Yes, it is. I mean, yeah. that, that's what I'm saying is like, this is, it's the, the technological, you know, uh, the slope is basically parabolic at this point. And it didn't used to be that way. It used to be a hundred years. You would have a very dramatic shift in technology and things like that. But now it's like every 20 years we have uh, an incredible shift and probably it'll be faster. It'll be 15. It'll be 10. It'll be five. It's like, um, yeah. so people are kind of getting ran over by it, I think. I mean, hell, I just bought the iPhone 13 Pro Max not that long ago. I'm still paying on it. And they just came out with the 14. Oh, every like, year, man. Hell? Every year. <laughs> I mean, that's Apple for you. But, yeah. you know. Well, and, the, and the, the improvements are so marginal in the in the cell phone arena. I just got a new phone myself because my other one just fritzed out out of the blue because I had had it for like four and a half years. And uh, and I'm, I'm checking out this new one. And I'm like, this is the same phone. Like, yeah. it's, ba yeah. it's basically the same. It's been four and a half years. It's the same phone. But I don't mean technological breakthroughs in the cell phone arena. I mean yeah, in other yeah. arenas. Yeah, no, I actually had a, uh, my shop teacher, oddly enough, we, we were uh, in our engineering uh, phase of our curriculum. And that, that's what he was explaining to us was how technology will double faster and faster as it gets more advanced. Right. And it, it will eventually get to a point where technology, uh, the, the advancements will happen like in a matter of like 72 hours. Like every yeah. 72 hours, there'll be something bigger and better. Well, that's the, that's the idea behind, you know, Ray Kurzweil's singularity is that yeah. your the technological improvement is, is truly exponential at this point. And that means that it just goes parabolic. And, yeah. uh, I think we're, we are close to that. Um, but it's fascinating because I think that the, uh, the potential for, you know, world war three nuclear Holocaust, like there's a, a whole lot of dangers that come with it because the technological pace is so rapid that it's it's causing uh, great uh, civil unrest and social unrest. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see if we can actually survive that that uh, singularity yeah. that Kurzweil, not not just warned of, but hoped for. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. Um, just circle back just a little bit. So... You had mentioned, you know, Vanguard and BlackRock and stuff. Kind of want to explain just who those uh, conglomerates are. Most people have never heard of them or Larry Fink or anything. Sure. Uh, I mean, they're the biggest money managers on earth. So they're just the guys that the pension funds and the, and the state governments and private citizens and, uh, 
I don't know if I said, oh yeah, I did say pension funds. They, they entrust their, you know, stockpile of capital. Usually it's retirees, but it's oftentimes, um, you know, middle-aged people that have invest investment capital. They pull it all up. They ship it off to Larry Fink, who's the CEO of BlackRock. Larry Fink and, and BlackRock have up until recently, they had 10 trillion under management. I think it's uh, south of 9 trillion now because the market's in such a, you know, bear phase. Um, but we're talking, you know, enormous, enormous capital. Uh, you know, that's close to half of the GDP of the United States. <laughs> you know, it's like big, big money. Um, if you combine all of the biggest money managers, you're talking more than the GDP of the United States, which is more than our gross domestic product annually. It's, uh, it's really, you know, it's enough capital to totally reshape the face of not just the global economy, but civilization itself. And that's their intention. And that's what Marxists have always wanted to do. They've always wanted to, you know, reshape civilization in their, their image. And I think that this is, this is how they discovered a avenue to do so. Um, and I oppose it just as I opposed Marxism my entire life. I oppose it <laughs> even when it is uh, funneled through what people call capitalism because it's not. Yeah. But, you know, that's such an interesting point. I have had a lot of discussions with Marxists, Leninists, socialists, all just whatever little club you want to put yourself into. You're, <laughs> you're a commie in my, yeah. in my opinion. It's all the, it's all the same thing call yourself whatever, but I've had a lot of discussion with them and I've always tried to have them explain to me exactly how our system is capitalism. Right. And, and none of them can do it. They, they do, they point out the problems with our system and we usually agree on that. Right. But then the disconnect happens when I say that's not capitalism though. They don't, they don't get it. Yeah, no, they don't get it. And I discovered this when I was on a panel with, uh, with Jimmy Dore and Dave Smith, I, I brought up, you know, central banking. And he was, to his credit, he was very forthright. He said, you know, I don't understand central banking, at, you know, on the level that libertarians do. I don't. And I was like, okay, well, you should probably remedy that. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like, like if you, if you are openly acknowledging, you don't understand what to me is the fundamental flaw in our system. The reason that income inequality, the reason all of these things that you despise, and I agree with you, it is reprehensible. It starts here. Why are you ignoring it? I don't know. I can't. I don't have an answer for it. Uh, Caitlin Johnstone. I got into a little Twitter spat with her, even though I love her to death because she's incredible on the anti-war stuff. And she was, you know, bad mouthing uh, landlords, uh, which I have been at numerous times in my life because I've been a real estate investor. And I explained to her because she she kept making this claim that essentially when you when you rent out your property, you are giving a uh, an, an asset which will naturally appreciate over time. That's what that's, this is her preface. You know, this is her premise. Um, and you're having your tenant who has to have housing to survive. And you're basically a leech and da, 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 right. And I explained to her just very quickly, even though I knew it was fruitless and pointless. Um, I said, hey, the only reason that real estate is an appreciating asset historically is because of central banks and zoning laws from the local government because we can't produce enough inventory to satisfy the demand. And also because the inflating currency, AKA the death of your purchasing power is the reason that it increases year over year. So can we just focus on ending central banking? And then, you know, after that, see if you still think that these people are just predators. Yeah. 
she didn't want to hear it, of course. She said, uh, no, because I played a game of Monopoly and I know how that ends. And I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. So I just moved on. But <laughs> point being, I agree with you. The the left, unfortunately, they don't understand. They don't understand yeah. that central banking at, it, at its core, if you don't have a a tool for exchanging value that isn't manipu manipulated from a central government, you don't have capitalism. Yeah. So from its inception, we are not capitalist. And then everything else after that, yeah, there's other issues too. I, I grant all of that, but it's, you got to deal with the first, you got to deal with the first step. Yeah. Well, and, and the, the fact that, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure how much history, uh, you know, people watching this know, but at one point in time we had gold and silver mm -hmm. and then, uh, we had a gold and silver certificates, which was like a receipt that we could return and, you know, sure. get, get that value worth of uh, bullion. And now what we have is like a counterfeit receipt. Entirely counterfeit, yeah. Like, and it's being forced on everyone to be able to use. I feel dirty even holding cash sometimes, even though, you know, the, the, I love the privacy of it. Yes. But I'm like, this, this is just nothing but debt. Like, I'm yeah. holding debt. Well, I don't know if I'd say it's, it's, it's certainly not, uh, not what it's marketed to be. Um, it's essentially a Ponzi, you know, it has value as long as other people believe it. And it doesn't as soon as people don't <laughs> yeah. look at FTX, <laughs> look at yeah. Sam Bankman Freed. It's like, it all works great until it doesn't and it will not work forever. So yeah, that's you true. have to decide, you know, when you want to, when you want to pull the escape hatch, if you get the timing so, wrong though, you're going to regret it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's the game of hot potato and you don't want to yeah. be holding the potato when it all goes down. <laughs> exactly. So, so that's another thing I wanted to talk about was FTX and exactly what's going on. I personally haven't stayed on top of it. Um, you know, being a podcast host, I probably should have, but it's first okay. little, I mean, it's, there's the a lot of story. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, it, I don't have anything new for you. Um, I, I did a, a show dedicated to it, uh, about, about a week ago, 10 days ago or something like that. And, uh, it's just a classic Ponzi scheme. I mean, the the difference being that this guy had really obvious nefarious relationships with political leaders of both stripes, but primarily Democratic leadership. And the fact that he was the second largest donor to Democratic campaigns, uh, you know, behind George Soros, who no one's a real fan Surprise of. Surprise there. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think that there's a real the real question with it is. Was it just a Ponzi scheme and a guy who understood the political workings because of his parents? Because both of his parents were Democrat operatives. Uh, did he just know the game and he wanted to, you know, run a Ponzi? And he knew, you know, paying off these politicians would allow him to do so. Or was he selected? Was he selected by, uh, you know, someone higher up in the government or whatever the deep state, whatever you want to call it, to basically run an op that would enable them to ultimately roll out the harshest regulation uh, framework imaginable against the crypto sphere being the number one competitor to the, you know, fiat monopoly that they have running the biggest Ponzi scheme in the world. Yeah. It's, it's a fair question. And uh, I don't know if we'll ever get to the bottom of it, but I, I think that that's, that's what anybody who really understands this stuff is asking themselves over the past week or so. So, I mean, to me, it kind of seems like um, just my 
somewhat limited involvement in the, the crypto sphere community, whatever you want to call it. Um, I don't, it, it doesn't seem like too many people understood exactly what was going on, but there was people in high places that did and brought that to other people's attention saying, Hey, this is what we could use. Uh, of course, this is all speculation. Mm-hmm. Um, but Hey, there's this new thing. This is kind of how it works. We can funnel money, launder it. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know, you know, how many higher ups actually understood what was going on. I mean, oftentimes with Ponzi schemes, people don't know, you know, they, they're just greedy and they're just throwing money at it because everybody, everybody else is. Uh, it's very yeah. common. That's, that's what the vast majority of markets really are is just following trends. So you see something that's, you know, uh, going up two, three X year over year. And you're like, Oh, I want a piece of that. And you know, it doesn't really matter that it's complete bullshit. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, that's just true. how, that's how a lot of people invest. Um, but the way it, it actually fell apart was, uh, I think it was the CEO of, of Binance. I think it was Binance. Uh, I believe is, is he goes by CZ. I don't know why everybody goes by acronyms in this arena, but, um, <laughs> he was preparing to bail out, uh, FTX. And he asked to look at their books to do so. So whether or not he was actually intending to bail out FTX or if his true intention was to find a way to make money off of their implosion, because like that could be, you know, as a savvy investor, as a you know brutal capitalist myself, I could totally see a, a, an argument for positioning myself to profit off of the destruction of one of my competitors. Uh, and if I was able to actually look at his books and know that this thing was uh, a dead duck, you never know. Uh, as you can tell, yeah. I'm I'm quite the conspiracy theorist. I, I I always view these things from angles that you know may not seem obvious off top, but it's just because you know as as an investor, like these, that's how you get outsized returns. You're looking for angles like that. Um, and I'm not at all saying that that's what happened. I'm just saying it's a yeah. possibility. It's worth considering. Um, so he says. Yeah, we're not going to bail them out. I don't know if it was Binance. I'm trying to remember what company it was. It doesn't matter really, but just forgive me if I got that one wrong. Uh, but he he tweets out or whatever. He says, you know, there's nothing we can do for them. Essentially, like, and and when that yeah. when that dropped, everyone was like, oh shit, <laughs> like this company is yeah. dead, and they had billions of dollars under management. Um, so big problem. Yeah, that's that's just wild and billions under other people's money yeah like that's <laughs> yeah that, that, that's, that's and, the game man uh yeah I'm, I'm not sure why people go under acronyms either um it, it is really weird i think it has something to do with the coins you know btc i think so uh, too yeah eth it, it, whatever but it's just it's a marketing ploy just like all the others exactly um so i'm, I'm not sure what uh what 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 that guy at sb what what sbf or whatever he uh I mean, he's like, what, 28? I think he's 31 now, but he was 28 when he started the company. Yeah, so billions for somebody that young. That he, that, that yeah, is that, insane. That should raise uh, an eyebrow off off jump that this dude at 28, he starts a company as a centralized exchange for cryptocurrency, and in three years, he's one of the richest people on the planet. It's like, and on top of that, he's running promos saying... I don't care about money. I'm just making all this money so that I can, you know, cure all that ills civilization. Yeah. <laughs> He's just classic 
embodiment of ESG. He really is. Um, and I believe that ESG yeah. is, is that level of fraud, but on a much larger scale. And so I just hope people are paying attention. I hope that when you see a guy like that and you hear him saying all of these platitudes about, you know, saving the whales and shit, like, you know, like the same, the, the corporations that are telling you that shit, they're full of, they're full of it too. Yeah. Um, so they're probably, I don't know if they're to that extent Ponzi. Uh, most of them aren't of course. Um, but be, be highly skeptical of any capitalist who tells you that their intention is not to get wealthy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. I don't know why I have to tell people this, but like, <laughs> Hey, self-interest still exists no matter how, you know, their, their virtue signaling. So the harder their virtue signaling, the more skeptical you should be of them. Yeah, exactly. And it, especially, uh, you know, not trying to knock it, you know, not trying to kink shame, but you know, having, having orgies in the background with some of the finest piece of tail that, you know, $6 <laughs> billion could buy you, <laughs> you know, it's, well, that's how you know that he was a capitalist because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was behaving as every other rich dude does. True. True. Yeah. That's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, it, where are you sitting on crypto these days? Cause I know that you've kind of been weary, I, I guess is a good word. Yeah. Well, I was, I was weary in December of 21, you know, when it was at its all time high, <laughs> I yeah. was telling, I was telling everybody, you know, that would listen. I think that it's, it's a, uh, a, a bull trap. You know, it's like you're, you're looking at a very heavily inflated market because we've maintained interest rates from the federal reserve too low for too long. And when that happens, there's misallocated capital that goes everywhere. And that includes, sorry to say, but also into Bitcoin. And, yeah. and I was right. You know, it's, it's uh, I still am a long-term, and even then I said, I'm still a long-term believer in Bitcoin. But in the interim, I think you will have much lower entry points. So if you have patience and you can go to cash, well, then you, you'll be able to acquire far more uh, during the bear market. And of course, most people didn't listen because it was sitting at 65 and they all thought it was going to 100. And I understand. I didn't sell all mine either. Like I didn't, you know, I didn't go to cash entirely. Um, just in case I was wrong, but yeah, I, I think that this is, if you've just, if you've been a, an investor and a money manager long enough, you can just identify these things when they, when they happen. Yeah. See, I, I actually have little faith in Bitcoin, not the technology itself. The technology I think was uh, Pandora's box. Sure. It's out there and it, there, there's no stopping that sort of system or that sort of idea, but Bitcoin itself. I, I have very little faith in that platform. Uh, the one I've always been behind has been Monero. Mm -hmm. And it's it's strictly because of the privacy. Right. I mean, with, with Bitcoin, you have basically your credit card statements on the internet for everyone to read at any yeah. point in time. Th there's definitely downsides to it. No, no doubt about yeah. it. Um, but I think there's other downsides that come with Monero. Like if they're, if the government is going to crack down very aggressively it'll probably be against you know uh is it the one that hides identity <laughs> yeah i was gonna say crypto guys i don't know what the word is but yeah uh you know yeah it, they're they're gonna look at that the the least favorably i would think um oh yeah i mean it's already coming too i mean there's there's a standard push of like oh that that's nothing but for you know the the dark web and nothing right. but drug dealers use it and stuff and it's exactly like, well, think of the children. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I know all the arguments they're going to make already. Um, 
Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, but I think that privacy is is paramount, especially in yeah. this in this era. So I'm not I'm not like I've always said I'm not a Bitcoin maxi. I just think yeah. that in terms of um, you know market adoption and potential for you know replacing the fiat system, I think that it is probably going to like I if I had to put my money on it, which I have, uh, I think that it has the the greatest probability of being a longtime survivor. But I'm not at all. You know, that's not to say that I'm not pro alternatives. Yeah. I, I like I think that I still recommend diversification. And I've told that to my maxi friends. I'm like, look, <laughs> like I think that you're right, but you might not be. Are you yeah. you, you want to really go all in on this? Like a lot of them do. And that, you know, that's their cross to bear. We'll hey, see. man, I, I learned something when I was really young and that was never put all your eggs in one basket. Right. Because exactly. then you drop that basket. Yeah. The bottom falls out. <laughs> well, I'm just going to say, like, if you if you put all your eggs in one basket, you better be fucking sure. <laughs> like, yeah. You better be 100 percent certain. And I, as a longtime investor, uh, like I have just never been certain. And even when I have been certain, I've still gotten some things wrong. So it's like you just after time, you just learn humility in this game. Yeah, you know, it's like it's better to be diversified, man. I'll, I'll tell you something. There, there was something I was really sure on and I talked myself out of it. And that that was a uh, uranium stocks about two years ago. Boy, right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Though, I mean, with the inflationary pressures it yeah, you, I'm sure you would have crushed, but you know, I, we've all got stories like that. I had, yeah. I had friends in 2010 and 11 that were banging down my door telling me to buy Bitcoin and I didn't do it. Yeah. And uh, I could have got it for, I think it was under a dollar at the time. So it's like, you just never know, man. You just never know. Yeah, it's it's wild. I mean, that's that's kind of the the fun and the heartache, though, right? Mm -hmm. You know, for sure. You win some, you lose some. Yeah, and uh, I'm building uh, six houses right now, and like, there's no way I could have known all the shit that was going to transpire. Like, there's just no way because it's multi-year yeah. process to build houses. Ended up being a four-year process because the zoning laws in my in my area um, in San Diego were just extraordinary. And then you have lockdowns and you have, uh, you know, printing of trillions and trillions of dollars. And then you also have uh, the supply chain breakdown, which in increased the input costs. Uh, you have issues with uh, getting, uh, what's it called? Damn it, I can't remember. Basically a, a right to traverse, you know, some of my neighbor's properties for utility lines. Uh, I can't believe I can't remember the word for that. Uh, easement, easement. And, uh, yeah. and then... On top of that, you have the the most rapidly increasing interest rate cycle in anyone's living memory. Uh, I mean, it's just extraordinary. It's a, it's an absolutely extraordinary time to be an investor uh, in any arena. It's very challenging. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, you know, I I keep hearing the the term everything bubble. Yes. That as soon as something pops, it's going to be a domino effect, and every bubble will pop. Well. I mean, the bubble has already let some air out. That's for damn sure. Um, yeah. I mean, the I can't think of hardly any asset class that hasn't taken a major hit over the past nine months. Um, and I think that that is just hard evidence that the Austrians are right. That when you manipulate the, uh, you know, not just capital, but the capital flows, the interest rates, the the price by which you can you utilize or acquire that capital to make speculative investments, things like that. It just creates malinvestment, a very broad-based malinvestment. That's that's what I was warning of in December 21. And uh, just the timing happened to be right. But 
I had been warning about it for, you know, a year prior. And then everyone's telling me I'm an idiot. You know, it's like, <laughs> so if you don't get the timing to like the minute people think you're, yeah. you know, a sky is falling chicken little type. And I'm like, look, I've been a bull uh, in 2009, 2010, excuse me, 2010, 2011. I was telling everyone in my life to go out and buy any housing they could get their hands on. And almost no one did except me. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, it just, it just doesn't matter. You learn after a while, like people are not going to listen to you. They're just yeah. not, they're just not because they're, they are, they are programmed to go with what the crowd is doing. So if the crowd isn't buying, they're not going to do it when the crowd is buying and they shouldn't be, they're going to do it. It's just, it's, it's brutal. So obviously things seem to be getting worse. I I've been kind of having this uh, mentality of, at this point, we should be bracing for impact because I'm not sure how much further they can kick the can down the road. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if it's a uh, indefinite thing, if they could continue to do that. Oh, it's certainly then, indefinite. No, it's not. Yeah, I promise you that. Uh, whether or not, you know, this is the the bang moment, um, I'm, I can't say with any certitude, but you know, I've said many times that I think that 2023 will be the hardest, you know, economic year that we've ever had in the, you know, in my lifetime. Um, and, uh, it, it really, it, the sad thing is that it almost entirely comes down to the federal reserve, uh, as it usually does, unfortunately. Um, if they reverse course on their, their interest rate hikes, which I think is probable, um, then I think that there's a chance that we are nearing the bottom of, of this current, uh, bear market, but, I'm not going to bet on it, you know, and, yeah. and, and in that environment, uh, it, it would be probable that you would have, uh, you know, a real run in assets at that point, because I think that all the capital that's sitting on the sideline right now, if the Fed were to reverse course even a little bit, um, I think it would flood back into the market. So we'll see. We'll see. I, there's lots of rumors that they are already considering um, not proceeding with the rate hike in December. And if they do that, I think that'll be a, a real strong sign that, uh, you know, crypto and hard assets and everything else is going to get a bid as they say. Yeah. So, I mean, I did just see, uh, I believe it was a uh, discourse TV or one of those news channels saying like another 4 billion over to Ukraine, which seems incredibly financially irresponsible. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure what return on investment the people who are writing the checks are getting, but I know the American people are not getting jack shit. Well, the American people are the ones that are writing the checks. <laughs> well, I mean, through, yeah. through, through inflation. I mean, that's, that, that's really how these bills are getting paid because we don't have enough tax receipts to be doing what we're doing. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's tragic, but I think we've sent them a hundred billion, uh, so far this year. And, uh, because of the lame duck session, like even if you believe that the Republicans are in opposition to this, which I don't believe, but just playing devil's advocate, let's say that they are. Well, it's very likely that the Congress is going to pass a enormous, uh, you know, continued spending bill for Ukraine that will last through September from what I've read. Um, and if that's the case, well, I, I obviously I hope that the war in Ukraine doesn't last that long, but that would basically mean that we have funded the war in Ukraine for its entirety. <laughs> you know? yeah. um, and yet there will still be contention when I call it a proxy war, even though we are funding 
the entire fucking thing. <laughs> it's yeah. so crazy. Um, but that's what it is. It's a proxy war. Well, it's it's interesting to uh, take the anti-war position these days. Uh, it always is, man. I, I have never, never had such a response back about just how I hate America and I want people to die. And really? I've heard that same argument from how, both sides. How old are you? Let's see, 30? All right, see, if you were old enough to have been a hard anti-war guy in 2003... I think you would uh, you would remember this is very similar, man. Like after, are you, dude? Just trust me. After nine eleven, if you were anti blowing up Iraqis, <laughs> you were. You, you oh, I remember the you. news coverage, and, and yeah. I remember it was all pro pro America. We had the Republican president, so yeah. it was uh, America, or you know, go fuck yourself. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And and by America, they meant do you support bombing innocence yeah exactly <laughs> that's, that's what it always means uh unfortunately um but this is to me this is even less of a justified war um just because you know it, at least in the argument that they made it was these are the people that killed three thousand americans you know in 9 11 yeah like, that's a that's at least a reasonable argument to, to have like okay we should go kill these people because they killed us like okay the Russia Ukraine thing is like, what's the fucking justification for this? Like, it's yeah. a it's a dispute amongst neighbors six thousand miles away. They're ethnically, you know, very similar. Their heritage is, yeah, we, I don't want to go through the whole history of it, but it's like, this is just we have no business being involved in it whatsoever. And they're also not a NATO nation or NATO member, so it's like there's no justification on any front for this. Um, but yet here we are. If I argue. To the contrary, I'm un-American and unpatriotic and a peace nick and delusional and da 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 <laughs> <laughs> and appeasing Hitler, you know, all that. Yeah, yeah. Just just terrible. Just so terrible that you don't want people to die and that we shouldn't uh be involved in this spending money that we, you know, shouldn't be sending over there. How well, the, <laughs> like... the point that they miss is that it's like they think that if you don't want to support Ukraine, you are dooming them to death. You know, that's that's basically the argument. But the reality is, is that, no, I oppose it because, one, I don't think that Ukraine would still be fighting if we weren't funding them. I think that they would have gone to the negotiating table and, you know, the Donbass region and a handful of others would have been ceded to Russia and there would be peace. Now, if the Ukrainians don't want that and they want to fight to the last man, that's up to them. They can do that. I give them full right to do so. But the alternative, by proceeding with the, the opposing plan, is that you risk World War III and nuclear annihilation. So am I rooting for death or are you? You know, that's what I say to these yeah. people. Like, are you, <laughs> am I really the one that's, that's heartless or are you an idiot? Because I think you're an idiot. Were, were you surprised at how many people were saying things like, uh, you know, a, a low yield nuclear strike might oh, actually yeah, be good for climate change or some yeah. shit? Yeah, I mean, all all that was unbelievable. I mean, that's what disturbed me so much about this entire year, you know. And, and coming out of out of lockdowns and vaccine mandates, I, I didn't think I could be more disappointed with humanity. <laughs> but they yeah. they managed they managed to blow my mind once again by thinking that you could have tactical nukes. Like, no, you cannot have tactical nuclear warfare. That's not how it works. 
There's a thing called mutually assured destruction. And if you don't mutually agree that you will not mutually destroy one another, it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Everyone knew this throughout the Cold War. One nuke goes, every nuke goes. We all die. So no one uses nukes. That was the whole, that's the whole yeah. unwritten rule here. And now yeah, th this isn't a video game. This is not fallout. No. Yeah. You don't get 25 <laughs> you know. kills in a row and then a nuke drops and then you start a new round. <laughs> like, that's not how yeah. it works. <laughs> exactly. Man, man, my generation is stupid. <laughs> Mine too, man. Don't feel bad. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of a, a good segue into the, the other thing I wanted to talk about was uh, within the liberty movement, not just the Libertarian Party, uh, just people that are not part of, I guess, the duopoly. There, there seems to, you know, that this huge tent that we have, we've got people pushing for war, but yet claiming to be libertarian. Uh, we, we've got people uh, pushing for all kinds of things that seem to not be within the libertarian realm who fall under the uh, the libertarian big tent. And we even also have people who can't stand the libertarian party, the, the official party and everything it does. And all they do is complain about it. Uh, yes. The loser brigade. Well, Antho Bishop. <laughs> yeah. Antho Bishop. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a fascinating, and Pete, I mean, it's a fascinating phenomenon where like, if you have ever been, even tangentially affiliated with the libertarian movement, like you can't ever stop talking about it. <laughs> I find it very <laughs> fascinating. Um, but I, I get it. I, like, I understand why I'm sure they still have, uh, you know, concern for the tra trajectory of it, but it's just like, look, if you're not involved, I mean, this is the same thing that Sarwak said, like, if you're not involved, uh, then just move on with your life. You know, it's like, but if you want to see it improved, well, then you should probably get in there and do it. Uh, yeah. so, that's what I chose to do. I chose to become a delegate and, and, uh, you know, vote for Angela and, and get the Mises caucus folks in there because I felt like the libertarian party was off the the path that I, I felt necessary. Um, so we've done that and I'm, I'm grateful for it, but yeah, I mean the people that, that advocate for war and except for wars of defense, I, I just, I flatly don't believe you're a libertarian, you know? So that's very simple. Uh, if you, believed in vaccine mandates i don't believe you're a libertarian uh if you believed in lockdowns i don't believe you're a libertarian <laughs> you cato <laughs> yeah i mean whoever yeah. i'm looking at i mean there's a lot of people a disturbing amount of people yeah. that that came out with argumentation from a libertarian framework allegedly that argued yeah. on behalf of these things and i just think that these are i don't have a ton of litmus tests but they ran afoul of all of them over the past couple of years and i'm like yeah well, please stop referring to yourself as what I am because <laughs> you yeah. are not it. We are and not the same. No, we're not even close to the same. And, you know, I don't know what you are. I'm sure you're not like fully my enemy or anything, but you're certainly not one of my people. And uh, so, yeah, I just want I want that to be known because when they run under our banner, then I kind of feel obligated to clarify these people aren't fucking libertarians. They're just not. I'm sorry. So, like, yeah. I'm not going to apologize for them, but just i just want you to be aware there are libertarians that actually understand bodily autonomy and not uh you know nuking the planet yeah so there there's kind of this thought i've been mulling over um both democrat and republican parties 
or and the culture surrounding them they they have this you know all the commentators on both sides and everything they have this like unspoken rule of don't punch left or don't punch right like you don't go after your own people you only go after the others Mm -hmm. um do you possibly think that that's what has set back some of the liberty movement because we've had so many of those people and it's such a big tent that we have to be like playing the not the true libertarian game hmm let me see if i understand the framing of this so are you saying that we should be gatekeeping harder no, I, I'm I'm curious if if that so for instance, I've never heard a, a Republican turn around and call out Mitch McConnell for being corrupt. I don't see oh. too many GOP parties like local county parties or like my state GOP party being like McConnell is garbage. We need to get him out of there. He doesn't represent us. Right. Oh, I think that's terrible. I mean, are yeah. are you are you arguing that that's a good thing? That they that they're no, un- unified. No, I I actually enjoy the libertarians arguing amongst each other. Yeah, uh, no, because I, th- I, I I take part of it. <laughs> yeah, you know? well, I, I think it's healthy. I, I think that it's yeah. it's. I mean, unfortunately, if you have someone like Mitch McConnell who's terrible, who is, but also a very shrewd um, political maneuverer, yeah. like it puts you in a weird position of like, well, I know that this guy can get capital for my campaign that will get me reelected. Yeah. So I'm going to bite my tongue, even though he's a fucking commie, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, like, uh, I, I think that that's, that's the downside of having a, a real political machine that can actually get you power. Um, you know, fortunately and unfortunately, the Libertarian Party doesn't really have that machine because yeah. we don't have any federally elected, um, you know, politicians. So it's like, well, I don't have to kiss ass. <laughs> like I don't yeah. have to because, uh, you know, Dave Smith's not going to get upset with me and then pull my funding for my campaign and then, <laughs> oh, I'm not going to become a senator. You know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> so I'll just talk shit to whoever I want. Um, but at the same time, I do think it's important that like we have some grace for people that are 90% the same as us. Like I, Justin Amash is a good example. I, I really think that he's gotten some things terribly wrong, but I don't like it when you know, the hardline libertarian like myself, the the people I run with go after him for everything um, yeah. because he, in my opinion, bought into the Russian collusion lie and he bought into a bunch of other things that I disagree with, but he's probably the greatest congressman, you know, next to Ron Paul that we ever had. And, and he also changed his, I mean, he became the first ever libertarian congressman because of that, even though he wasn't elected as a libertarian. And I just yeah. think like, I, I still have uh, appreciation for that. And I think that it's, it's a little short sighted to like treat him as if he is Mitch McConnell, you know, it's like, what are you doing? I, I, so both, I guess I'm saying it's both. There's nuance to this. Like you don't want to be so hard on people that are very close to us, but you also don't want to ignore if they're terrible. Like, yeah, it's gotta be, gotta find that balance. So like with, with Amash, I'm not a fan, but I would never dream of not calling him a libertarian. Cause he right. is right. Exactly. You know, he, I don't dislike the guy. He's just not my flavor, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's he, fair. So that's just that. Um, and, and so this kind of leads me to the ultimate thing I've just been mulling over. Of course, I'm not the only one, uh, this has been discussed many times, but should libertarians be running federal races 
or should we be focusing strictly on our states? Uh, I think that the, the presidential level, we have to. Um, as far as you know, congressional or senatorial seats, I think it's largely wasted money. Um, and I'll explain. I mean, the I think that the presidential campaign level, is particularly with the the marketing that that comes with that, and and the uh, the the platforms that you get on because of that title as being libertarian presidential nominee. Um, I just think that there's so much value in that. I mean, you can really you can really reach a lot of people and and get a message to them that they probably haven't heard or haven't heard since Ron Paul or haven't ever heard. Uh, you know, who knows. Um, so yeah, I think that, that those, those campaigns are worthwhile at, at the highest level and then the lowest level, you know, the city like mayors and sheriffs. And, uh, I think that that's, once again, I'm very nuanced approach. Yeah. I think it's, it's both, but it's at the, it's at the extremes. It's the lowest level and the highest. Yeah. And I agree with the, the running a presidential campaign. However, I would view it strictly as a PR campaign. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's what it is. I mean, you're not going to win, so yeah, I don't know why you wouldn't view it as a PR campaign. Exactly. But, but if you're going to do it, this is what this is why I was so upset with the Jorgensen campaign. Is if you're going to do it, be bold as a motherfucker. Like, why why would you not go out there and say all the um, all the things that we actually believe that aren't popular? You know, like yeah, you want to reach people. Like the only reason that we stand out, the only reason that we're special, is because we tell the truth when it's unpopular. Like that's to me, that's that's what makes libertarians so compelling is that like we're the only political movement that says things that people don't want to hear, you know, like, yeah, that's that's powerful. That's powerful as hell. That's like that's the thing that really shakes people from their their slumber. You know, it shakes them from their indoctrination spell. It's what it's what woke up Dave Smith is when Ron Paul did it to Giuliani. It's like and God knows how many other people, you know, were woken up in that that one exchange. It's like Sitting right here. <laughs> Exactly, dude. So yeah. um, I just think that the, those are the moments that like you cannot be cowardly. You cannot run a we're going to appease and, you know, mimic being something we aren't to try and trick you into voting us voting for us so that we can say we got four percent of the vote. Look how look how rapidly we're growing. It's like that's fucking a loser's game and a loser's mentality. Like you will yeah. never, ever win if you don't tell the truth. The whole reason that we have any appeal whatsoever is not just that we tell unpopular truths, but we're the only people that you can actually expect to hear the truth from, you know, like that's, that's meaningful, especially when you're just awash in deceit and lies and all the political campaigns that are out there. Everybody knows everybody except for the most blue pilled idiots on earth. And we're never going to reach them. So why would we try and reach them anyways? Right? So you're going to stand out by saying, some shit they've never heard of in their life, but at its core, they can tell whether they believe it's true or not. They can tell you believe it's true. They can tell you are telling your truth and no other politicians do that. So don't ever fucking fail at that if, at the highest campaign yeah. level like that. That's what the, uh, the Jorgensen, Jorgensen campaign failed at, in my opinion. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, it's interesting because we have nothing to lose. Yes. We don't have anything. <laughs> So th those are the people you should be paying attention to. Yeah. I mean, well, and on the, on the inverse of that, we have so much to lose because yeah, if true. we don't, if we don't wake up people, then we're going to be so such a small minority that we can fucking be thrown in gulags. Like, <laughs> like yeah. 
like we have a lot to lose, but we don't have anything to lose when it comes to the campaign itself. You know, yeah. like you're you get five percent of the vote or you get two percent of the vote. Like, okay, not really a big deal to me. Like I just wanna well, I guess if you get to a certain percent, there might might be benefits because then you could actually get on the debate stage and blah blah blah. But I'm saying like that's that's less likely. So like the focus ought to be on being as bold and as principled and as pure as possible and just letting the chips fall where they may after that. Yeah. And also not everyone should run for office. <laughs> yes. You know, of course their, their libertarian party has been pretty notorious for just prop somebody up and yeah, no, it's a huge mistake. Terrible. I think Gary Johnson was, um, you know, the, the most opportune campaign time, you know, in American history for libertarians ever Hillary Clinton versus Trump. And to have him up there was just not good. And toast. Yeah. And I like the guy, but it's just like. I do too, but he's he, not a presidential candidate. No, he's not. And he wasn't the guy for the moment. You know, like I know Dave is, he was too, probably too green back then, but man, I would have loved to have seen what he could have done with it. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's my thing is I want in a, in a presidential candidate in any candidate, honestly, I want somebody to be able to make me proud to fly under that banner. Exactly. Exactly. Like all we really have is our base <laughs> you know? yeah. and yet, and yet we can't seem to, to even appease them, you know? And I think yeah. that's, that's weird. Um, but uh, one thing I've learned too, because my, you know, my show's grown in, in popularity a little bit is that like, man, even amongst the quote unquote base, we're very divided too. I mean, you have, really like the progressive wing of libertarianism like i don't i don't relate to it at all you know i just i don't have I, I like i don't i don't really understand how you went through the process of being a libertarian and then came away concluding that like race and gender matters you know like that to me just seems completely counter to my my process of becoming a libertarian so um yeah. I don't know. I guess I'm just saying it's it's hard to it's hard to even appease the base is what I'm saying. But I would focus on the Ron Paul wing because I think it's the most I think it's the closest to the the heart of what libertarianism truly is. And I think that it has the the populist roots that can, uh, you know, bear the most fruit. And so that that's my preference. But I happen to be one of those. So I have obviously a conf conflict of interest. So I apologize to the progressive libertarians <laughs> that will hate what I'm saying right now. Um, but that's my that's my worldview on it. Yeah, I mean we're we're definitely kindred spirits when it comes to that because Ron Paul's the reason I got into this in the first place. Sure. And I, I don't care who's flying that flag, but that's the sort of libertarianism that I'm following. Exactly. Same. And you know, it, it's just interesting because I've just seen so many failed federal elections. And I don't think it's because we're libertarians or because of the even the bad campaigns. I don't, I don't think it's because of any of that. We start with this premise that the federal government is just fucked through every level. So yeah. why the hell are we trying to even get in there? Yeah. Well, goes both ways. You know, I, like, I, I do understand the argument of trying to reform it because the federal government is a very dangerous entity. And like, if you have the allies, dangerous, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the exactly. And not just the federal government, but the United States federal government is probably the most dangerous entity entity in human history. So yeah. I understand the argument as to why you would want to get some allies in there. Like that makes perfect sense to me. It's very rational. Um, but it's also 
you know, it's not very pragmatic. It's not very realistic. You know, it's like, can you do it? <laughs> like the answer yeah. is almost certainly no. So maybe don't spend a ton of time on it. Um, but then again, I spend a ton of time talking about federal level politics and, you know, so maybe I'm being a hypocrite, but I think, I think the stuff matters. It's just like, can you actually get candidates in there to reform it? I think the answer is probably not, probably yeah. not. And at least not anytime soon. And I don't know that we have enough time to fix it before everything fucking goes belly up anyway. So it's like, and that's, that's my concern right there is that, you know, at this point, should we be bracing for impact? Should we, I mean, of course we should be, but yeah, you should be, you, you know, um, whether or not I, it's like minutes away or yeah. 10, 10 years away, I don't know for sure, but like, yeah, you should be bracing. Yeah. And that, that's just kind of where I'm at. It's like, even if we get up there, like, okay, so Donald Trump is obviously a, uh, an establishment man, in my opinion. And he just, you know, out of 10 times that they ask him to do something, he maybe does eight, unlike Joe Biden, who does 11 out of the 10. Exactly. You know? And so just those two times is what upset the system that much. So somebody even like him, like, say, if we got a pure libertarian in office, there's no way they're getting anything done. Yeah. Well, I, I think that uh, I have a slightly more optimistic view of Trump. I think he does seven out of 10. <laughs> you <Fair>. say eight, <laughs> whatever. You know, we're, we're no. uh, arguing the edges here. But yeah, I, I just think that, you know, Trump is a really good example of whether you believe he was almost an insider or if you believe he was totally an outsider, it really doesn't matter because the point is, what did he get done? You know, what mm -hmm. did he really accomplish? We, we spent more than we ever have. We didn't end any wars. I mean, we didn't start any thumbs up, but like we didn't end any. Um, Isn't that such a low bar? We're just like, yeah, we didn't start a war. Yeah, well, of course it's a low <laughs> bar because every other president in my wow. lifetime has, uh, but it's very tragic, but it's it's reality. Yeah. Uh, he also, you know, you still had lockdowns. You still had mandates that happened. Well, I guess it happened a little bit like minutes after he was out, but whatever. Um, you still had Operation Warp Speed. You still had the propaganda that uh you know lied everybody into acquiescing to all of this bullshit and he he not just allowed it but uh you know perpetuated and uh and perpetrated much of it so i just don't i don't think that uh i mean aside from some miracle where you get a ron paul dave smith caliber guy in there that is just like true blue you know i i just don't think anyone will have the courage or the wherewithal or the knowledge necessary to actually do what needs to be done. And you also have to have someone who's very shrewd and is willing to speak to the people. Like he would have to like, think about what you would have to do to actually end the federal reserve. You would have to get up there. You would have to have a, a nightly address to the nation where you sit there and you go, look for 110 years, you have been being robbed blind. And I just want to, I, you know, I'm the first person, I'm the first president to tell you this. So I'm sure not a lot of you are going to believe it, but we have to shift to sound money. And in that process, we're probably going to have to default on our national debt and it's going to be extraordinarily brutal. We're not going to be able to pay anybody, but the, like the oldest members that are on social security, we're going to have to end all social programs, but this is the only way we can get back to a semblance of a, of a reasonable economy. It'll, it'll alleviate the, the crony capitalist system that we're dealing with. Uh, we could end the wars because you won't be able to print to have these, this consistent warfare state. Like, you would have to get up there and just explain it all and then have the American people say, 
holy shit, this guy's telling me the truth. We're going to support him, even though the deep state is going to oppose everything. And then you just have to pray that you can actually yeah. get it done without getting assassinated in the next 24 hours. Like, it's <laughs> crazy what you're asking yeah. someone to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, and then not to mention what kind of danger that puts their family in. Oh, so. dude, everybody they I mean, know. we're talking extended family, too. You'd have school teachers that would be assassinated. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> be like, exactly. Go, anyone that was ever, that was even, you know, foundational in your, in your life, they'd be like, yeah, they're in trouble, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so ultimately... I would say uh, you and I are probably. Would you would you say it's fair to say that you're fairly white pilled, even with all the crazy shit? Yeah, I mean, I just feel like I don't have a choice but to be. You know, it's like I'm. I live here, man. I'm. I'm a young-ish man. I intend to be around for another sixty years. I hope, and I just have to. I have to believe that we're going to find our way through. Um, and I think that with the advent of technology and uh, you know blockchain technology and the internet, like we are we are we are at an inflection point that like we're either going to have panopticon level totalitarianism or we're going to have the freest world that human beings have ever known. And I don't think that there will be much in between those two paths. And that's very intense, uh, <laughs> but it's also like such an opportunity and. I'll be damned if I don't try my best to, you know, edge the, the ball in the direction that I want to see it go. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was uh, very well put, you know, I'm, I'm definitely, uh, say I'm gray pilled most of the time. Sure. I'm, I'm definitely aware of the, uh, exactly how fucked we are, which, which is very, uh, you know, it's very depressing and it can definitely take you down, but I'm with you. I, I have no choice but to be white pilled. Yeah. That we're gonna come out good in this. I mean, that's one of the oldest stories known to human or just all of humankind, right? It's good always wins. In the well, long run. Yeah, I think I think that's the key is the long run. You know, it's like there is even right now, there is immense human suffering, you know, to levels that we can hardly even fathom. And yeah. I also live an incredibly blessed life simultaneously as this person lives in hell. You know, it's like you have a very bifurcated existence right now. And uh, I think to for many people, it's a choice as to what you want to be in. And for other people, it tragically, it is not a choice. You know, if you're in North Korea, you don't have much choice right now. Um, if you're in the you know ghettos of Palestine or Syria or, you know, there's a litany of other examples. It's like, Okay, yeah, you probably don't have a choice just to like be hopeful and optimistic and have everything work out. Like it's, it's the stack, yeah. the deck is really stacked against you. But um, yeah, I just I tend to believe that like the the most happiness, the most human um, you know gratification comes from being an autonomous human being that gets to decide your own path and to pave your own way. And I think that because of that because that ultimately does jive with the majority of people, not everybody, but the majority. Um, I think that that is, that is what we will strive towards over a longer time frame. In the interim, you get indoctrinated. You're, you're told that, you know, the state is your savior and that slavery is, is salvation. And you get told all this Orwellian shit, but I think that because freedom ultimately produce, produces the greatest good, it will ultimately be what humanity strives for. So 
Yeah. I think uh, it's just a matter of like whether it's a hundred years from now or if it's 10, I don't know. Yeah. Personally, I just don't see how such a corrupt evil system could sustain itself. That's yeah, my biggest it, white pill. It can't. Like, Communism there, doesn't no way, sustain right? itself. No, it doesn't. <laughs> I mean, that that's what I'm that's exactly what I'm saying. It's like no. it, it does not work. And because it doesn't work, it cannot persist. And that's great, but it's also painful. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> take the good with the bad. It's those growing pains. Yeah. Well, on that, I think we'll wrap up here. Um, honestly. Thank you so much, Clint, for everything you do. You oh, produce no an amazing show. Thank you for coming back on. Do you want to let everyone know where they can find you? Sure. Uh, Twitter at Liberty Lock Pod. And uh, just search Liberty Lockdown on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm there. Um, also on you know all the alt platforms, Rumble Odyssey, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So thank you so much for having me, man. Keep keep going. Yeah. Anytime. You as well. You know, ultimately... After the uh, tweet heard around the world from New Hampshire, you know the the Happy Holidays tweet, which mm-hmm. I fucking loved. Yeah, so did I, I had I had this conversation with a lot of people that were saying, you know, this was this and that and whatever. We need all of this. We need your show, my show, everyone else's show. We need people out in the field. We need we need all of this to make all of this work. I agree. We, we need the federal campaigns. We need the state level campaigns. We need all of it. Ultimately. And, we, uh, I, to me, we just need the most people trying yeah. like you, like just like if you're just sitting on the sideline going like, God, I wish that they would do something different. Well, fucking do it yourself. <laughs> like, yeah. get, get in the, get in the fight, man. Like we don't have a lot of time left and we are so outnumbered. Like we need you, we need yeah. you. And I, that's how I feel about everybody that's in this game. That, this is why I hate it when I see, you know, other people that are in our arena that don't like me. And I'm like, yeah. why? Why would you not like me? Like, I, I like you. <laughs> you know? like, yeah, exactly. I like, I, I like everybody that's trying right now because I realize that like, you're my ally. You're not my enemy. Yeah. I don't view anybody that's in this podcast arena as a competitor. It's like, look, I'm trying to fucking save the world. Like, yeah. are you? Because if you're not, then maybe you need to refocus. You need to lock in. You need to realize like the 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 game we're in. You know, the the stakes, yeah. the stakes that we're up against, and. I, unfortunately, I don't think like even though people will talk about it, I don't. I, it, sometimes it feels as if people don't really understand. Like this is fucking everything. This is do or die. So yeah, yeah I want everybody involved. Exactly, and that's why uh, everyone watching this, you got to make sure and go subscribe to Clint's show, subscribe to Rise to Liberty, subscribe to any Liberty podcast out there. Get the yeah. word, read the books, talk to people, talk to your neighbors. That's one of the biggest things right there. Is talk yeah. to your damn neighbors. Talk so, to your talk to your coworkers too. I mean, a lot, yeah. way more people agree with you uh, if you just open up about it. Like, I know a lot of people think that you know we're such anomalies and like our ideas are so <laughs> scary, and you're just gonna get reported to HR the first minute you open your mouth about anything. <laughs> but like, who gives a fuck? Like, you only live one life. Be honest. Yeah, exactly. So on that note, everybody, make sure and hit that uh, like button, hit the subscribe, hit the share get this out to as many people as possible and we'll uh we'll get you back on clint again because this is always always a great time talking to smart people doing good things sounds good brother i'll talk to you soon yep you as well bye everybody